We've been in a series called Home Words, and we're actually bringing that series to a close today. And this series has been critically important because too often we just kind of drift through life in our families and wonder if it could ever be different or ever be better. And so the purpose of this series is really to kind of look at the fact that our homes are a very important place. We spend a lot of time there. Why not make it be the best it can be with God's help? So we talked about the fact that we need these transforming words, these words that will help transform our homes, and we are going to bring it today with the one word that kind of ties it all together. And here's what you and I know to be true. All of us, if we're to be honest with ourselves, or if our spouses were to be honest to us, or if our kids were to be honest with us, here's what we know to be true. Everybody has this one pressing question that goes with them throughout their life. And the question is this, am I loved? Am I loved? Do you love me? It doesn't matter how macho you are. It doesn't matter any. What we all wrestle with in life is, am I loved? Do you love me? And in our homes, we would take for granted, well, of course we love you. You live in our house, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what we, we tend to throw around, but we really don't understand how important this question has been to people in your family and understand that we as families need to make sure that love is spoken frequently in our house, not just in words, but also in our commitments to each other and in the way we live. And so our final word today is, is the very air that transforms, that transformed families breathe. It is the soil with which all these other words we've talked about, words like hope. Have we recognized that if families don't have any hope, we're in trouble? So the foundation really for transformation in our homes is that we have hope, hope that better days for our family are still out in front of us. I'm glad I have great memories I can look back on as a family and go, those were great times, but if all I'm doing is living in history... That I'm in trouble. I need to say, God, give me the hope that I can know that the better days are still ahead for my family because my family's not done. I've got kids. I've got grandkids, kid, grandkid. My family's not done. And I hope that the better days for my family are still in front of me. And that takes hope to do that. We talked about the importance of forgiveness and how that really is an important word that we have in our home. And that many of you are just one conversation away from healing in your family. But you haven't gone there yet. And how forgiveness is so important to transform our homes. We've talked about blessing, how so many of our kids are looking to parents, especially to fathers, to give them blessing over their life, which adds value and purpose to them. And how many of us never sensed that in our homes. We never sensed this blessing spoken over us, calling us up into life, and how critical that was. We've also talked about honor. And how honor needs to be in our homes and honoring relationships and children honoring parents and parents honoring each other. How we need truth in our homes, especially in today in which truth seems to be so situational. How we need the truth of God's word in our home. And finally, we talked about faith last week. But friends, all of these virtues, all these values, which they are great, if they are not held together by today's transforming word, then we're in trouble. But love becomes the soil in which all of these words can grow. In fact, I like to put it this way, that, that love is like the framing of our homes. How many know that without framing your walls, you're in trouble as a house, right? Because everything gets applied to the framing. You wouldn't have pictures, you wouldn't have sheetrock, you wouldn't have paint. 
We need framing. And love is that framing that holds your homes together. And while many of us over the years might change the color of our walls, we might move a wall, we might change the carpet, we might make some transformation and improvement, but not very often do we go back to the framework of our home, unless it was built poorly, right? We typically don't touch that. Why? Because it holds everything together. And love is that critical to all of these virtues today. But here's what we know to be true about love. It's a very popular word, but a very misunderstood word. And I have a, have a hunch that the love we're talking about today is missing in a lot of our homes, or it's not expressed as it should be in a lot of our homes. And that's why we have increased divorce rates among evangelicals, almost equally the same to those who live outside or, or, or don't have a faith in Christ Jesus. It's why our homes are breaking, relationship tensions are rising, because this word seems to be missing in our homes, at least not as full as God would want it to be. And without this kind of love, any desires you have to change your family are futile. Because if your attempts to change your family are not wrapped up in love, then your words are meaningless. How many of you have ever had somebody try to correct you, change you, in an unloving way? Ever happened to you before? Maybe somebody had some harsh words to share with you. They wanted to see you change, and so they were kind of like the angry coach who told you what you need to change, and they said it in a very unloving way. How responsive were you to that? Generally, if I understand most of us in our human nature, we're not very responsive to that. It doesn't matter how badly you want transformation in your home. If you miss this key ingredient, it's not going to happen. But what is this love? This love is a biblical love. It's a powerful word. In fact, Scripture has a lot to say about this love and how it can transform homes, broken marriages, severed relationships, and a struggling family. And here's just a few of them. In fact, if you want to follow along today, which I encourage you to do, you can use your device, your smartphone, your Galaxy, your iPhone, whatever, your tablet. You can use the Bible app, which is one of the, the, most, the most used Bible apps in the world today, the YouVersion Bible app. And if you go there, there's instruction on the screen, or if you follow us on Facebook or, or Twitter, there's also instructions there for how to follow along. But I encourage you to do this, because today, this one ties it all together. So I want you to get on this message today. But there's some things that the Bible has to say about love as we just kind of introduce this topic, and it's this, that love is a family debt worth having. Love is a family debt worth having. How many of you have some family debt that just wasn't worth having? Just be honest, you bought something, you did something, and you found yourself in debt for something, and it was like, man, that wasn't worth it. That really wasn't worth it. Can I tell you that love is a family debt that's worth happening? Look at what Romans tells us, and this is why I've never really put love and debt together very often. Not too many of us do. We think of love being like a currency or being an asset. We never think about it being a debt. But look at how Paul says it. Romans 13, 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. What is he saying with this? Why is he calling love a debt? Let me help you understand why, at least from my, from my perspective. Because love, this kind of love, will always ask more of you than you feel like you have to give. And the reality is we will never completely pay the debt this kind of love asks of us. Because it is a love that continues to indebt itself to others. 
putting the needs of others ahead of our own. It will always ask more of you. And when it comes to our homes, how many know we need to have a love that's willing to put others first, that's willing to let things be asked of us, that we find ourselves always in a position of giving love. That debt will never be satisfied. You can't one day say, you know what? I have loved everybody to the fullest. I am done. No, you're always going to have this sense of indebtedness of love. Why? Because God loves us with that kind of a love. It always calls us forward. The Bible also tells us that love fuels family harmony. Some of your, your, your home feels more like discord than harmony. But Ephesians 4.2 tells us this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Your homes don't feel like a place of harmony. You need this kind of love that will bring harmony to your homes. How many of you love to go listen to great music, or maybe it's the orchestra? You love to hear all the tones come out, and they play together in beautiful harmony, right? I've had the privilege, and I will again this year, to listen to beginner band. Any parents of beginner band students out there? All right, isn't that just precious? It's precious. I don't know how else to say it's precious. You listen to music, and you got notes that aren't always in harmony, not played the right time, there's discord, you kind of go, I just want to pull my eardrums right out of my head, right? Sometimes that's the way we feel. Some of you, that's what your home feels like. This love we're talking about today is going to help harmonize the home. We need this. The Bible also tells us that, that uh, love creates strong ties holding our family together. Some of you feel like your family is literally falling apart right now. Listen to what Colossians 2, 2 says. I want them, I want you to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. This kind of love we're going to be talking about today is a love that ties us together as a family. And I know that right now, if you're, you don't feel very tied together, hang in there. Because this love is for you and for your family. The Bible also tells us that love keeps us from focusing on family failures. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. I'm sure that if you're at all like my family, you probably have some failures that you have overcome or still are dealing with. And love helps us to not focus on those failures. But it's those failures, friends, that often pick our families apart. We focus too much on those. And I know there are some failures that are doozies. I get it. But this love helps to overcome those failures. Because love covers a multitude of sins. God's love allows us to conquer every family obstacle. Some of you are out right now, you're, you're right in the middle of an obstacle course as a family. You got things that, that come at you at, at, at the speed of life and you just don't know how to deal with them and it feels very challenging for your family. Listen, Romans 8, 37 says this, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Understand, when we think about it, we are loved with a conquering kind of love. 
And as families, we need the same kind of conquering love that is ready to face whatever comes our way, relational hardship, financial troubles, a sickness, an illness in the family, whatever is coming our way that's an obstacle. This kind of love, friends, allows us to be overcomers. But is this, is this love present in your life and present in your home? If not, that's our prayer today, is that God would infuse us with this love. Also, the Bible tells us that love binds all of the other home words together. Or if I, maybe you could say it this way. It binds all these other family virtues together. Colossians 3, verse 12 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And those are all great virtues for a family, right? Those are great core values. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. These are all words that we've spoken about in the home, right? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. But catch this verse, 14. And over all of these virtues, as great as these are, put on love. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's almost like Paul's telling us how to dress in the morning. You know, you get up in the morning, and you can't just go out the way you were sleeping, right? Unless you fell asleep on the recliner like I do sometimes, right? you just, you got to put on some things, right? And Paul's talking about how we have to make an intention every day to say, you know what, I'm getting up today. i got a, I got a family to love. I've got a, a, a career to lead. I've got whatever to do. I'm going to choose to put on. And he talks about what we should put on. But he says there's one piece that kind of holds it all together. Put on Love. When you get up in the morning, recognize, God, I know my family's going to ask more from me than I have to give. I'm going to choose to put on love. And it binds all of these virtues of gentleness and peace and all of these things with love. We'll talk more about that here in a moment. But what I've discovered is that a lot of families, when they're going through difficulties, they know they need a transformation. I think it's so interesting that love is not the first go-to answer to the struggles they're going through. They're looking for a quick fix, looking for five steps to be a healthy family. They're looking for something they can kind of do. And, and I'm all for things that we can do. But friends, listen, if we do not put this to work in our homes, then all other efforts are powerless. We have to put on love. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as the love chapter, right? The love chapter. I use this at weddings often. And the reason is because I want a couple to understand what truly builds a home, what truly builds a marriage, what truly builds relationships. It's this love. But before we dive into this love, more specifically, I think it's interesting that, that Paul says there are some things that are good, but if not done with love, they're useless. There are things that, that I know you could do for your family that are good. And what we're going to talk about here in a moment are good things. I recommend these for your family. But if it's not done in or with or surrounded by love, then they're useless. And some of you know because you've tried this. You've tried some of these things and it wasn't done with love and it fell flat when it came to applying it to your marriage or to your home. And so he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You see, people think that talk has the power to change our family. Our family is so broken, so let's just sit down and let's have a talk. Now, I'm all for family talks. Again, these aren't bad things, but hear me out here. I'm all for family talks, but if your words are not motivated and backed up by love, and it doesn't matter how eloquent you are or how clear you make things, if you cannot communicate those in a loving way. And you guys know what I'm talking about because you've had those moments as families or even a marriage where you had to have a talk. In other words, it means you need to shut up and let me say something at you. And usually it's not said in a very loving way. And the other person receives it so well, right? Like we talked about already. Oh, thank you for totally gutting me. Thank you for taking those times to share those words. I'll work on them diligently. No, it just creates closure and tension between us. So I'm all for families talking things through. But listen, it has to be communicated in love. Because communication that is not rooted in love is fruitless. In fact, it is counterproductive to what you're trying to do as a family. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. He says this, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge but do not have love, I am nothing. You see, knowledge is another thing that people think can bring family transformation more so than love. Ever met a family member who was a know-it-all? Knows exactly what it is you need to do to make your your home better, your marriage better, or whatever. We've all had maybe those know-it-alls that speak into our life, and they are outstanding in their field of knowledge. But here's the deal. They're outstanding in that field alone, (laughs) right? You get it? They're outstanding in that field alone, standing in a cow pie, right? Because nobody likes just the the, the raw knowledge of a know-it-all. Because knowledge that is not tempered and motivated by love does nothing for your family. But I read a book. This guy said, yeah, okay, great, you know stuff. But is love the motivation for what you're sharing? If you don't believe me, how many times have you tried to talk to a teen or maybe your spouse, and share this great knowledge you found in an article, but you shared it in a very unloving way, and their response was basically this, and the stare of death. Ever happened to you before? Yes. Knowledge, as wonderful as that is, and I want you to know great things to be a successful family, but knowledge dispensed without love is useless. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, the latter half of that verse, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Friends, I think it's interesting that there are people who think that faith can do more for their family than love. Now, again, I'm all for faith. In fact, if you remember, that was last week's home word, right? Faith. I'm all for it. And I think this is a very intriguing verse because it's almost like Paul is recalling what Jesus said when he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say this mountain be moved. So he's touching on this great faith. If you have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, you are nothing. You know, faith is important, no doubt about it. And this is talking about pretty big faith. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please God. So please hear me through this. I can have all the faith in the world, but if I don't have love, 
I have a big bag of zilch. And some of you know what this feels like. Perhaps you grew up in a home where faith was force-fed to you. And it was done in a way that looked more like rules than it did relationship. It looked more like tradition than it did this sense of really a desire to know God in a way that was receiving his love and giving love to him. And you were force-fed religion in a very harsh way. What happened? You wanted nothing to do with faith. You wanted nothing to do with church. You, You might have had very religious people in your home, but that religion was angry and loveless. I've I've met with some peers of my own who grew up with me in church, but at home, that religion looked so harsh. They were like, you know, I don't want that. If that faith is what looks like in my parents, I don't want that. It was a loveless faith. It's nothing. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, If I give all I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. There are some families that would say, we're really a family all about compassion. You know, we're going to be the most compassionate family in our community. I'm going to teach my kids to be giving to people. I'm going to serve at the soup kitchen. I'm going to give money to the poor. I'm going to go help fish stock their shelves with food. And again, all of these are noble things, friends. But if we're doing these kinds of things and trying to be a family of compassion without love, it will not transform our home. He says this in verse 3 as well. If I give my body over to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Some of you families and and members think that sacrifice is more important than family. You say things like this. "I, I, I, I am giving everything for my family. Do you know how many hours I work each week? Do you have any idea how much I'm spending of myself or my kids? Do you realize the effort I'm expending to make sure that my family has the best opportunities they have and you're sacrificed for your families? And some of you might have grew up in a home like that where your parents sacrificed for you, but their absent sense of parenting because they were sacrificing so much for you did not translate to love, and you didn't look at their acts of sacrifice as love. You can sacrifice without being very loving. You could give up your life for your family, but you don't love them, or if they don't know that you loved them, then it will be worthless. So what am I telling you? These are great things Paul's talking about. Talking, having knowledge, having faith. I mean, these are all great things, but what he's saying is love is the greatest thing. Look what he says in in the rest of the verses. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8 to explain why love is the greatest and why this characteristic is so important to hold all these other virtues, these other home words together, which will transform your home. Before we get to that word love, the Greek language has multiple words it uses for love. Our problem is we only have one. So for us, love can be I love apple pie to I love my wife, right? Is there a difference between those two? I, I hope so. But we just kind of have this one word. So in the Greek, the word that was used for this kind of love was called agape. Now, basically, it's kind of been looked at the fact that Christians hijacked this word. Because it wasn't used very often in in Greek literature. It was kind of this noble love. And it wasn't really used a lot often. But it was the best Greek word that could be used in writing the New Testament to describe the love that God has for for his people. 
You see, because there is brotherly love, which is phileo love. It's a love you have for others. It's just kind of a, of a kinship you feel. But that, again, can be conditional. There's eros love, which is that lustful love or that erotic or, or, or attracted love that oftentimes brings two people together. And let me just tell you, if you married because of eros love and that hasn't shifted to agape love, then what happens when the love is gone? right? So he uses this highest, most noblest word for love. And agape love basically means this. It is a strong affection and regard for a person and for their good. Listen to this. It especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights and privileges in another person's behalf. Now, that's the definition of that love. But here's what it looked like. It was that love that we saw when God sent his son Jesus into our world. It was the love that we experienced when he reached out to us, even though we didn't deserve it. It was the love that that put the interest of us before himself when he went to that cross and when he sent his son. It was that love that forgave people and started over with them. And aren't you glad he did that for you, that he forgave you and said, you know what, we're going to have a new start. We're going to hit the reset button. I love you. I have a plan for your life. I've forgiven you. I'm going to give you a new start. It's a love that sacrificed himself for others. This love is a caring, it's a forgiving, it's spontaneous, it's redeeming, it's unconditional, and it is the essence of God's love for us. And so the Greek word was agape, and the church used that to describe this noble love. But here's what I know, that love is often missing or depleted in our homes. And we try to operate with brotherly love. We try to operate with attractional love between couples, and we recognize that that stuff is conditional, and it will end. But this love is without conditions. And this is the kind of love, friends, I'll be honest with you, we can't really compute very well with. We're we're kind of finite people. We're we're frail. we're, We're prone to failure. And this idea of an unconditional love It's hard for us to really wrap our minds around. But let me tell you right now, for a family to survive and to thrive and to be transformed, this unconditional love is what is needed. But some of you grew up in a home where you know what conditional love felt like. It was like if you acted a certain way or you said a right certain thing, then you you were loved. But if you didn't, you felt you were on the outs. You guys might know what conditional love feels like in your relationship with your spouse. There are certain conditions. If you meet my needs, I will love. And there's this kind of condition to it. But what what would happen if unconditional agape love is what filled our homes? What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. I believe divorce rates would lower. Because I'm looking out to your interest over my own. Tensions in relationships, yeah, there still might be bumps and bruises along the way, but those will lower. Why? Because I'm looking to your interest over my own. This is a selfless love that God gave us. As we look at it in in 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to just kind of wrap up with this. He gives us 15 descriptions of this love. Because here's what you know to be true. It's hard to define love. You ever ever had a kid ask you, Mommy, what's love? And you're kind of like, Well, where do we start? You know, I mean, how do you define that, right? But everybody knows what love looks like. You can see an act and go, "Ah, that's it, that's love. 
because we can see it by its behavior. So what Paul does is he takes some time to say, here is the behavior of love. And as we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 8, let me just tell you, this love is perfected in Christ. In fact, you could take Christ's name, and every time you see the word love, you could insert Christ, because he completely fulfilled this love. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Some of you know you just got an F right there, you know, because you know that when it comes to home life, patience is not a strong virtue. Love is patient. You know what that word actually means? It means the ability to suffer long. To suffer long. How many know that in family life, there's times you're called upon to suffer long? Love is patient. I have kids. You know what I'm talking about, parents. Love is patient. And what I know to be true is we can be patient at work. We can be patient in traffic 50% of the time, right? But we get home, and what do we do? We let our guard down, and we snap at the quickest and easiest thing. And we forget that love is patient. Patient with our kids, with our spouse, with ourselves. Love is patient. Love is kind. How many unkind things do you find existing in your home? Love doesn't speak those words that tear others down. It's kind. How many know that when you're looking for somebody that really cares for you, you're looking for somebody who's kind? That still means they're going to call you on the carpet on some things, but they do it in a way that is kind, and that is love. Does not envy. Some of you, I know you've done this. You, you wish you were that other family down the road. You wish you had married that other person. Why couldn't my husband be like that? Or why couldn't my wife be like that? And you, you look around and you envy. Why can't my kids be like their kids? But in your love, it doesn't envy it looks at what you have and says, this is good. And we can work with this because God has put this together. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Those kind of go together. And how many of you know that men especially, our pride is what keeps us from loving the way that we should. It's pride that keeps us at a distance from our spouse, from communicating love to our kids in a way they can actually understand it. Pride will wreak havoc in our homes. And you've felt it before. But love is not proud. It goes on. It does not dishonor others. How many times, friends, let's be honest, how many times have we dishonored our kids by the things that we have done or said? Or dishonored our spouse? Love doesn't do that. It builds value in others. It doesn't take it away. It's not self-seeking. <laughs> Too often, friends, the truth is we're looking for something from our family. And we'll feel loved or better when we get that thing. But love is not self-seeking. It doesn't put itself first. It's what? It's others-oriented. What is their need? That's what Jesus said. Didn't consider his own needs but the interest of us. 
It's not easily angered. Some of you, your, your fuse is very short. But love is not easily angered. Kind of goes along with that patient. It keeps no record of wrongs. Some of you, you have file cabinets. You have file cabinets. They're not real. They're not taking up any square footage in your home, but they're taking up a lot of square footage in your heart. And you go to those file cabinets regularly, and you pop it open and go back in 1982. I remember this story. I remember what happened. You put that one away, and you draw out from 1990, and you keep working through your files, and you've got all these things because you're hoping someday somebody's going to come make right for those things and pay those off. But love doesn't do that. Love takes those files and puts them in the shredder. It doesn't keep any record of wrongs. And that's hard because some of you, you're really good at tallying. But it doesn't do that. It does not delight in evil, which means it doesn't delight when somebody maybe gets their revenge carried out. You look at something happened and somebody else will go, oh, isn't that great? That family member finally got what they deserved. No, it doesn't delight in evil. Instead, it rejoices in what is true or what is right. And then he, he, he wraps it up in this great statement of these always. And in case you don't know what always means, it means all ways. It always protects. It always trusts. And I've often told people, you know what? Trust is the bedrock of our relationships. It is. And some of you, it's been trust that's been challenging for your family. Because it's been violated, and I get that. But love does what? It always is willing to extend trust. It always hopes. We've already talked about that. Better days are ahead. It always perseveres. Perseveres means you went through something severe and you went through it. It perseveres. When the marriage got hard, when the kids got rebellious, that love said, you know what, we're going to stick through this. This love is going to get us there. Number eight verse, love never fails. You go, Kelly, then you don't know my home. You don't know the love that I experienced growing up. Yeah, I might not. But chances are it wasn't this agape love in your home. Because love never fails. He wraps it up in Corinthians 13, 13 with this. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let me just tell you, I know a message like this, you're kind of going, you know what, so-and-so should be here to hear this. Because if they'd hear this, it would be all better in our house. I understand. But here's what you need to hear today. This message is for you. It is for me. Because I know that in my family, as a dad, as a husband, I have fallen very short of this kind of love. Because I know that if I was to take my name, and we, we know Christ fulfills all of these things, right? But if I was to put my name in here and say that Kelly is patient, 
Or Kelly is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. is not proud. He does not dishonor others. I'd kind of go, you know what? There's statements here that would not be true of me. Why? Because I know I have fallen short of this. And you cannot, friends, conjure up this kind of love. You can't go to a few conferences and go, I got it. I have this love now. Because here's what we can see about this love. We love because God first loved us. This love I'm talking about, friends, is not possible in your homes if you are not indwelt by the Spirit of God committed your life to Christ and said, I want to honor you, God, with all that I am. Because until you come to that place where God's love is filling your heart because you are a follower of his, this love will never be within you. So it starts with us. I know that there are people in your family who act contrary to this kind of love, and it makes it very difficult. I know. But you have to have this love in you. It's got to start with you. Because that love in you starts doing these things, you would be surprised what it does to the family. What it does for your kids. When this kind of love is inside of us. A little boy named Danny and his family lived in a travel trailer. And one day, somebody asked Danny, don't you wish you had a real home? Danny, wise beyond his years in his response, he said this, we have a real home, we just don't have a house to put it in. And isn't that true? There's a difference, and you know what I'm talking about, between a house and a home. A house is a structure made of stone or brick or wood. It can have a lot of people or it can have just one person in it. But when we talk about a home, a home is a place of hope, forgiveness, blessing, honor, truth, faith, and an unconditional love. And in a home, each person is valued. They're loved. They know the answer to that greatest question they have, am I loved? And they know the answer to that question. Because that agape love has filled your heart and has bled over to them. Any decent contractor can construct a house, friends. But only God can build a home. That's why the Psalms say this, unless the Lord builds the house, the labors are in vain. If you want your home to be truly transformed, friend, the thing that's going to tie it all together is this kind of love. And here's what I know to be true of me, and I'm sure it is of you. This love is not what it should be in my heart. I have some growing to do. I have a debt of love to pay. So as we conclude this service, I want us to stand this morning. And some of you might be saying, you know, I I wish I kind of had that love in my heart. And maybe that love's not there because Christ does not dwell in you. You've not made a decision to say, Jesus, I want to honor you with my life, and the Holy Spirit is not that empowering agent of love within you. Then, friends, you've got to start there. If you want to transform your home, it happens when the transforming power of the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. And then through you, all these virtues we talked about, which are fruit of the Spirit, take place in your life and in your home. So you've got to start there.
And then each of us needs to come to the realization that, God, I need a fresh infusion of your love in me. Not, not infuse my husband. He needs it, God. No, we're going to start right here. Me. And I want you to take that test this week. I want you to open that 1 Corinthians 13 passage. I want you to substitute your name in the place of love and give yourself a grade. And recognize we all have some growing to do. As we close today, I just want you to to ask the Lord to fill you afresh with that love. Because that love is the transforming word of our home words. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for each one of us in this room. You have loved us with a perfect, everlasting, unconditional love. And we, we think on that love today. We sing about that love today. And, and we know that it is such a perfect, beautiful love. And we know that that's what our home needs. But that's got to be carried out through us. So God, I pray right now for each person in this room that you would infuse us with a fresh touch of that love in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes. Because all these things that we can try to do to make our home better will fall flat without this love. So let it start in me and each one of us that then that would become carried out in the daily life of being a dad, being a husband, of being a good neighbor, of being a grandparent, transforming the lives of those that we call family by our love expressed to them. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.